Hey there, everybody. Welcome back to ATP. James here to provide a quick intro before we get into the episode because we did something a little bit different. This is going to be part one of a two-part recording of the Twitter space that we did on Saturday, January 29th from about 2 p.m. to 3.30 p.m. We had some great guests come on stage to speak, and they'll be listed in the description, their Twitter handles. It was a lot of fun. I think we really enjoyed the slightly less structured format and allowing people to come on and ask questions and really just have a free-flowing discussion about the state of Everton because, of course, Frank Lampard is due to be announced basically any minute now, it feels like, likely to announcement to come Sunday. So by the time you're listening to this, it may be out. But we wanted to try out this new format and release it as a podcast and see what people think. And we would very, very much appreciate any feedback. If you enjoy it, if you think there's opportunity to improve, we are totally open. This is, again, our first time trying this and releasing it in podcast form. So let us know what you think. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us at uh, americantoffee at gmail.com. You can obviously hit us up on social media. You can find all our links to our socials at L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E slash USA Toffee Pod. And one last thing before we get into it, please remember to subscribe to the show and leave a rating and review on your platform of choice. Appreciate it very much. And away we go. source for stateside views on Everton Football Club. Hosted by Alex Johnson, James Boyman, and Ryan Williams. All right, everybody. Thank you very much for joining us today on the American Toffee Podcast Space. Today, we're going to be talking, of course, about what has been one of the most memorable weekends in Everton history, I think, at least in my time as a fan, and I'm sure many of us going to rock and roll here and uh, wanted to go over to Alex first, but we will definitely get as many people involved as possible. So if you want to come on stage to speak, please do request. We've got um, kind of a linear format here going through some of the ins and outs, talk about Vitor Pereira a little bit, who will hopefully... uh, be a distant memory in short order once Lampard is officially announced. But Alex, um, definitely a chaotic week. So we had fan protests. We had several manager links. We had mysterious meetings in London. We had calls for the owner to remove himself, calls for the chairman of the board to step down. What are you feeling now that we finally feels this uh, bit of a, a farce or catastrophe has kind of come to an end and we can now look forward uh, and ahead with Frank Lampard coming in as Everton manager. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely been a, a roller coaster of emotions throughout the week, maybe last two weeks, if you want to start with Lucas Dean's departure and, and kind of how that went down with Benitez leaving. But, um, you know, I will say I'm enjoying uh, the current times and Everton fans simply because it seems fans are excited about what's to come, or at least positive, maybe not excited for all but positive to say the least. Um, I know there are question marks about maybe the length of contract for Frank Lampard. And obviously I think uh, El Bobble first and then Romano, uh, Fabrizio Romano confirmed Lampard, but we haven't officially gotten the uh, Everton announcement. Um, but I think, I think Lampard over Pereira is probably a good move. Do I think that Lampard is um, 
you know, an extremely special manager. No, you know, we, we mentioned it on the podcast before. If you haven't listened to that episode, um, go check out our American Toffee podcast episode. Um, where we were talking about all the manager links and, and we went over Frank's CV, um, kind of his style, uh, you know, circumstances around his, his last managerial job at, at Chelsea about a year ago. Yeah. And at the time we recorded that episode, what was so crazy was that Vitor Pereira wasn't even in the frame. Like he hadn't even been brought up. We were talking about Cannavaro. We were talking about Lucien Favre. We were talking about Kovac. We were talking about all these guys who, for the record, I would have preferred either of them to Frank Lampard. But at this point, you know, it, it became clear, I think, early on this week that Farhad Mashiri was very interested in Vitor Pereira coming in. And fans went pretty berserk over the idea, um, which was, I think, interesting for me because the just the, the level of vitriol that came out against this guy who I get that he doesn't have maybe the most impressive resume, but the clamoring for the likes of Wayne Rooney or Frank Lampard, who are you know objectively far less experienced, though they achieved more as players, was was quite interesting. And of course, you know, he went to the Middle East, he went to China, he managed in Greece, none of those jobs being particularly, uh, you know, prestigious or anything like that. But he did win trophies. I mean, he won things, but people were totally against it. We had fan protests, we had people graffiti and go to some park. People were really mad. And I think, ultimately, it seemed like Farhad, similar to the Rafa Benitez appointment, wanted to push ahead with it before the level of fan backlash kind of forced him to reconsider and change his mind. And all, all the while we have the transfer window ticking down. So what did you make of the reaction to the Pereira links and, and fans, I guess, collectively taking action to kind of force, try to force the owner's hand for lack of a better term. Yeah. And, and um, you know, after, after this, we'll definitely get some people involved to get their opinions because I want I want to hear some of those as well. But I mean, really, I think we can all agree that he, he probably shouldn't be the guy to come into Everton. And I think that the fans were a little more touchy about the situation based on, on our position in the table. Um, you know, especially with the squad that we have, um, obviously injuries, injuries aside, but you know, Lucas Dean is really like the dagger, uh, with that. And so it's like, why risk it? Um, now, you know, I, I think everyone would agree that we had, you know, other possible, like better, uh, managerial links that you know we talked about as well but I think the dagger for him was really and, and we heard from other fans um, you know from from Pereira's past clubs that he was a bit of a, a hothead or an emotional guy and then he does that interview with I believe it was Sky Sports initially and, and I think that's when everyone really really went off um, I, I think like the graffiti and that sort of stuff was maybe a little bit too much in my opinion um, well, let me rephrase that. It, it definitely was a little too much. Uh, but I think that's the first time uh, we've seen some fans bully. A, a, I think someone put it well on Twitter. I, I didn't see. I can't remember who it was, but someone said Everton fans uh, successfully bullied a grown man out of a job uh, before he even got it. So I think that sums it up pretty well. Yeah, it was crazy. I mean, you had the, the spray painting on the picture of Bill Kenwright. You had all sorts of just really, really frustrated reactions. And, and frankly, it's just, I think, you know, representative of the state of the fan base after this really disruptive and divisive period of Rafa Benitez as manager. Um, he really tore the fan base 
in half and then eventually just united almost the entire fan base against the board and the uh, upper, the hierarchy of, of Everton in general. And you have this sort of momentum building with the 27 campaign, which of course began during Benitez's tenure with the walkout, the 27 minutes, and then has kind of evolved now, I think for better into this longer term, higher level view of looking to get the owner of the club to engage with the fan base and rebuild, I think, some of the bridges that he may, that frankly he burned with the hiring of Rafa Benitez. Because I think if, if the Vitor Pereira links come about in the summer, you don't get nearly the reaction. But it comes off the back of a horrible appointment that everyone knew was going to fail, essentially, or expected to fail, even though people were willing to give him a chance. And I think most were, including us on the show. But it very quickly became like the most predictable failure of a manager ever um all of the things that have caused him to uh, fail at his other jobs were very apparent at everton and it's crazy now the the sale of lucatine feels like ages ago because the last week has been such a you know cluster um i know we have ryan on stage ryan did you have any just kind of general thoughts hopefully your tech issues on i know you you were kind of in the Pereira camp in some ways as opposed to frank lampard and curious to hear your, your thoughts there i don't think either were good candidates um i think i was under, underwhelmed by the entire process but again we don't have a dof we don't have uh, modern football expertise on the board and that's really the biggest problem that's why the results of this could never really be optimal and i think we have to accept that that's how it is if take tim cahill played a major role that's great uh would love to see him come in as an independent director not a director of football i don't think um but look it turns in essence the hire into a short-term hire whether people, you know, I, I say it's important that Frank can cultivate youth. I don't think that really matters a whole lot, to be perfectly honest, because um, ultimately, you know, whoever comes in, new director of football, will hopefully implement a, a vision and identity. And we don't even know if Frank will necessarily be coherent with that. But that's OK. You know, you got to hire someone and uh, you're probably not going to give him a six month contract uh, uh, anyway. So that was our bed. And we, you know, we got to sleep in it. Uh but I think both style of play, Vitor and, and Frank, I think are good things. I think they're aggressive, the pressure. They, they want to keep the ball a bit. I think that's good. Uh, we're going to do a deep dive into Frank and kind of his short history and in the next pod. Um, other than that, um, I think the idea that Frank can attract talent, I don't think that's really a big difference. I think Vitor, Vitor would use Kia uh, just as well as anyone else. And I know Kia maybe isn't the best thing for the club, I agree. But um, you know, considering the El Ghazis are one, out of the two Premier League loans, that kind of cripples Frank's ability to bring in um, someone within the league, which, again, is yet another gift that keeps giving. Uh, that's a disgraceful arrangement, frankly. I cannot believe that that was even permitted, but that's what you get when you're in bed with that guy. Uh, other than that, I mean, I, you know, I just want to thank everyone for t- participating and continue to listen to the pod. And if there are th- questions or things that people want us to research a little bit more, um, we'll do it. Uh, that's kind of what we take a lot of pride in on the pod, taking our time to really kind of take deep dives into information and, and data and, and history and, and try and provide content that's worth listening to. I think that sets us apart a little bit. So I'm happy to do that. But otherwise, I just want to hear dialogue. I'd love to hear what people have to say. And, um, you know, it's I, I don't really have much more to say other than I'm really happy that we have someone that's going to represent the club, at least as the face of the club. That's not Rafael Benitez. He was everything that I think an Everton manager should not be. I think Frank is polished. Uh, measured, slightly humble, which is kind of interesting considering what a great player he was. And I think he'll represent Everton well, even if I feel like he's kind of an under underwhelming hire. 
Yeah, I think that's well said. I mean, I think I think what what really gets me excited about Frank Lampard isn't anything specific about him. It's the fact that we finally can get away from Rafa Benitez with someone, as you said, who will represent the club well and and be, I think, kind of a charismatic guy, someone who the fan you know won't alienate the fans and pick on uh, players, and hopefully will end up being you know a better man manager. Now, his tactical acumen, I think, where there's a lot of question marks remaining there. And frankly, you know, no pun intended, I'll probably say frankly several times, but, uh, you know, he'll, he'll come in with a real imp- important job to do right off the bat. Everton have some incredibly important fixtures, the cup tie against Brentford, Newcastle, who have obviously strengthened, made some really big signings, Leeds, Southampton, all games. So he really has to hit the ground running. And I think making sure that, uh, you know, everyone's behind him and that we can make Goodison a, a challenging atmosphere for teams to come in and all that sort of thing. But with that, I would love to get some people on stage to speak. If you want to come on and talk about really anything that happened, whether you want to give your thoughts on Vitor Pereira on the 27 campaign on Frank Lampard on the state of Everton in general, how you're feeling on Farhad Mashiri's decision-making in terms of uh, manager recruitment, the timeline, whatever, please do uh, request to come on stage. We'd love to hear from you and we'll get it started. We've got Nick, uh, Nick Weinstein. Weinstein, Weinstein, we'll bring Nick on. Hey, James, you got me? Yeah, loud and clear, man. How you doing? Awesome. I'm good. Uh, enjoying you guys helping us out on a snow day up in the Northeast. Oh, man, it's brutal. <laughs> it is brutal. It is crazy outside. But, yeah, I appreciate you guys having me on. Um, just wanted to give my thoughts. And I think a big reason for why Lampard was brought in, obviously, was the fact that he might be able to get a few additions in the door before the end of Monday. Um, I think... In my standpoint, I would have rolled out with Dunk till the end of the season and had some more time to get a DOF and a manager in place in the summer. But they probably just listened to Lampard saying, all right, I can get Van de Beek, Deli Ali, RLC, whoever it may be. I know one on loan and maybe uh, someone else from outside of England in by Monday to help us stay up. Um, I think that could be a big, a big reason why he was brought in. Um, but just wanted to hear your guys' thoughts on that and maybe who we could expect to be coming in the door on uh, on Monday before deadline day. I think we need a six, but I, I, I would imagine Frank's probably going to opt for a more attacking-based player. Uh, Ruben Loftus-Cheek I don't think is a possibility. He's playing plenty at Chelsea, so I don't think that's going to happen. Vanderbeek I don't think is the greatest player relative to his feet, but he's smart. He can find space in the attacking zone. If we're going to actually possess the ball a bit, he could be helpful playing the more attacking kind of out of the three in a three-man midfield in a 4-3-3. Um, yeah, it'll be interesting. That's how I think he'll opt. I would love for him to go for a defensive mid, like I said before, or give Bameen a chance. I'm a little bit concerned about Alon playing as the deepest in a three, in a Frank three. Frank tends to get his teams pretty extended vertically, and I think we've seen with some of our center half choices, they, they don't seem entirely comfortable moving up higher. Now, if you play, Mina seems okay like that. Godfrey certainly played in the past, but I, I think the best part about it is that no matter who he brings in, uh, the style of play, I think, fits more of our players than, you know, Rafa's style. If you think about probably half the roster was acquired to play in Silva's 4-3-3, which is certainly more pressure-based. Um, even DeCorio came in later, played in that same scheme. Um, Alon's played more pressure-based uh, setups, but ultimately more as an eight. Um, there's some guys out there. I mean, Mark Rock is someone that's been out there for a while at Byron that doesn't play that could be that. Uh, Hector Herrera never plays at, at Atletico Madrid, and uh, most North Americans know him from the Mexican national team. He's a thought because 
he's smart and disciplined. I mean, I just would love to see us get another option at that six. Delph can kind of play it, but he's never going to be healthy. I think we decide that. I, I just think Bameen is the guy. I just wish they'd give him a shot. Um, but you never know. I mean, there's certainly some guys out there that could be big names that would be available as freeze in the summer. Uh, but it looks like Dennis Zachariah is probably going to go somewhere else. Um, Frank Kessie's out of our league for sure, I think. Uh, Barca's looking at him. But those types of guys would be kind of kind of interesting. I'm going to do Diarwa at, at Roma might be an option. I don't think he's the greatest player. I don't think he's the most disciplined, but he's kind of the profile. And we're going to go through some of those on the pod. Um, I think we're going to do something right after the deadline, I think. Um, so if we go and look at someone and, and put him in, we'll definitely do a little bit of a profile on them. One thing we do not need is another freaking wing. <laughs> I'll say, I'll just say that. Dan, Ryan, I just want to, I just want to build on that real quick to say, you know, we, we did just, just harp on it a little bit on, on one of the podcasts before in terms of like what we feel Benitez did wrong. And one of those things was obviously like setting up the midfield um, and past setting up the midfield. It was really how he used almost all of our mid midfield personnel wrong I guess maybe in our opinion a lot of people's opinions so beyond who he brings in I think a huge part of his success is going to be you know finding the right fit for for our midfielders at least the healthy ones because you know uh, we heard that Ducore is going to be out for about a month at least soon so it'll be interesting just to see how he uses even the current players because I think we can all agree that they weren't playing up to the standards that we feel like they could have based on on the manager's decisions totally and and I think you know, what will be even also interesting. I mean, there's a lot of interesting things that happen. You know, do we get the new manager bounce? But as Ryan said, you know, Frank's typical style of play, Lampard will want to play a higher pressing, higher tempo game when the Everton squad have been essentially sitting back and playing a very compact counterattacking Benitez style. So there's a there's questions on how quickly a manager could even try to implement or change the style of play so dramatically within the squad without, you know, being disruptive. So does he come in kind of try to keep on keeping on with what what the, the foundation and the tactics we have in place or does he just, you know, rip the tree out roots and all and start to build immediately cuz he, you know, we are in a perilous position at the moment. I do feel much better about the relegation threat now that, um, you know, Benitez is gone and hopefully, you know, it really won't take much, two or three wins, and I really think that can can put us on the right track for the end of the season. But it also is a little bit scary, and I think people have been, that's what's really also fueled this this frustration in the fan base over the last few weeks is like that relegation threat just started out as kind of a joke, like there's no way we can go down, but then it just every loss starts to pile up and you're like, okay, maybe, maybe it is possible, but I still think the squad's far too good. And I, and I think, you know, again, a couple wins will keep things moving and, and hopefully on to better things. And if we can stay up, it gives Frank a platform to build in the summer and, and get some key guys in. We've got Halsey coming, requesting to come on. We'll bring them in. Hi Halsey. You there? Hey, hey, guys, how are you doing? Good, thanks, how are you? Good, thanks. Uh, just joining you guys from South Africa. So, yeah, I think uh, thanks for giving me the chance to share my views here. I am just just want like to know your guys' thoughts on a couple of things. Um, I must say the list was quite underwhelming in terms of the candidates. Um, do you think that we've set our, or, or, or set our sights very low? Or is it more a case of 
who could we find or is Everton no longer a marketable proposition for the likes of, let's say, uh, uh, Apollo Fonseca, um, even the, the, the Kovacs of this world. So, I mean, I just wanted to know your guys' thoughts on that. And I think Lampard, sure, coming in, he's got a tough job. Um, and I'm a bit old school. I think when a new coach comes into a club, I think the first thing he needs to sort out is the defence, uh, build, get the defence sorted out. And I think things would be much easier once he he, he gets our defence sorted out. But yeah, I, I'm still, i got to say, I am a bit underwhelmed by the, the appointment, but fingers crossed. And I think, I mean, just on, on our side, a lot of the reporting and stuff that we get here is pretty much the British feed. So there's obviously the, the British biasness or to say, look, if the person knows the Premier League, they're most likely, they're more likely to do better. I don't subscribe to that notion, uh, both in player recruitment and possibly manager recruitment as well. So, yeah, that's about it from my side. Thanks. I, I am so happy to hear your voice, my friend. That's so great. Um, yeah, I agree with you. I, I actually think uh, Pereira would probably be best to come in immediately and organize the defense. Going and looking at his teams, they were incredibly well-structured and very tight. I don't know. I, I would love to hear what other people think about that. I, I think, look, there aren't that many big jobs that pay big money, frankly, uh, out there like Everton. Um, I think probably, like, let's use Graham Potter for an example. There's no way Graham Potter was going to come in without the proper infrastructure. And I think that's part of the challenge of hiring a foreign coach. They're used to having infrastructure. I mean, the idea of not having a director of football is completely insane to people outside of England. So um, I think that's that's a problem, um, but I, I think it's hard to ignore that Kia had a, a massive influence on this. So I mean, it, you know, I, I I don't know, and I don't know how much the fans impact the outrage over Pereira, which I kind of find a little ridiculous. But I do appreciate the fact that he's a Kia link, so I'm glad that people are starting to finally take notice of that. Uh, but I'm curious what other people think. I mean, I would think if we really wanted to go after these guys. Like, Lucien Favre would come, I would think. Um, and I think he's someone that you could continue forward, even in any structure. I think he would probably fit. But, again, I don't know what the identity and the vision of the club is going to be going forward. I, I would like to believe that we could attract somewhat of that stature, no problem. Um, why we opted for them, I mean, I the first thing I would point is who out there on the board or in the football organization could even do this properly. I mean, finding managers is hard. Like, it's one thing to find players – you can use data, you can use other things, you can use different knowledge. Managers are hard. You know, so many of their performances is, is circumstantial. So I, I, I don't know. I'm curious what other people think. Let's get, uh, let's get, we've got Owen wanting to come on and speak. I wonder what, what his thoughts are on a manager. I know uh, he probably would have preferred Sean Dyche to anyone that we would have hired, <laughs> which frankly, I mean, I wouldn't be totally against. Owen, how you doing? Hi, can you hear me? Loud and clear. Great. I just want, yeah. I just wanted to know what are you out of ten? The the three of you. Or I don't know how many of people are speaking. Three or four. What? How out of ten? How would you rate the appointment in terms of suitability for right now? I, I the personnel is is concerning in the midfield for Frank. I mean, he gets his team is way too vertically extended. At least when I've seen him, I'm very concerned about his setup. Uh, I don't know if he's. I think the style of play is better for the team as a whole, but right now, I think, to Helsey's point, um, I think we need to shore up the defense. You, 
people find this surprising. Owen and I actually have similar philosophies in terms of how we would set up teams and, and coaching them and stuff. Uh, we would build from the back. I think a lot of people would. And I think it's very debatable whether Frank can organize a defense. Um, that concerns me. Again, you know, I, it wouldn't have been my choice. I don't know how other people feel, but yeah, I, it, you know, I'll tell you what, though. If the first thing he does is just put J.P. Pamin in as a six, I feel like that would be an interesting thing. And I think he'll probably give some other people some chances. But, man, that's a risk. I mean, if that's your one true six, I think um, yeah. he needs that. I mean, N'Gala Conte made up for so many of his issues, I think. Um, and some of the talent he had at Derby, too, I think people forget. And that, that team actually overperformed massively from a point standpoint. But Chelsea actually um, probably underperformed even slightly. But N'Gala Conte is a world-class player and makes a, a lot of difference. Yeah. Um, for me, I've, I've just been sort of stepping back the last day or so and just reading and listen to what people have to say. Uh, people are positive and um, I guess if your previous manager was Rafa Benitez who was on a sort of mission to troll the fan base I'm, I'm not surprised. I think anyone but Vito Pereira could have come in and I think there would have been a bounce but um, I, I'm just unsure about the suitability of Frank Lampard coming in right now. I, I, like I said I, I'm worried that with a relegation battle Bloom and I'm not sure Frank Lampard's particularly suitable for right now. He, if it was the summer, I think I'd have a slightly different opinion on it. But I'm just worried that if he doesn't get a bounce, let's just say a new manager bounce, we could be into some real worries because I think Frank's the type of manager who wants to sort of set out his own philosophy and and you know stick to the way he does things rather than just go in there and. And scrap for points. Uh, that's the impression I've got from his reign so far. Because re- having a bit of a read up on Derby, he drastically changed the style of play of Derby from Gary Rowett to drastically big. Yeah, deal. and that that I suppose he got the players to do that. The only problem is if it's just Donny Van Der Beek coming in. I'm not. I'm not sure we've got the exact personnel to do what he wants to do. He might disagree. He might have looked at the squad and think, "What I actually want to do, this team suits me fine." But from what from what I've seen, I'm I'm not totally convinced. And I I think Evan have a lot of, let's say, weak personalities in the team. That I think we saw when Marco Silva was the manager, the amount of so in the second season, how many fine margin defeats we got the wrong end of. I think it might be a bit of a repeat of that. That's me worry me positive thing is he'll have a new manager bounce and he'll have enough points to keep us safe and in the summer he can sort of um, have a look at the squad and see what he needs but I suppose with FFP still looming, I'm not sure how much ability to change the situation he'll have but I don't know I stand corrected on that I mean there's no getting around the fact he's a massive risk right I mean he's never really been in any kind of relegation fight in his entire career um certainly not as a manager so it's kind of uncharted territory for him you you would think you know with being the caliber of player he was he comes with a, a level of confidence that he can get results and um but but the potential risks are there and there he's not the sure thing savior that i think a lot of fans maybe uh, are, are expecting and i like you Owen, i'm thrilled that there's finally some you know, a, a jolt of optimism amongst the fan base because, you know, the last, as I've said, the last six months have been exhausting and 
toxic and you know fans arguing with each other over ridiculous things so it's nice to have someone who at least seems to but as you said is not rafa benitez but i i do think there may be people getting a little bit carried away in that he's the savior he's gonna you know carry us to champions league positions in a few few seasons if he sticks around that long because i've seen chelsea fans who can't believe that he got the uh the job. I'll try to find the tweet and pin it, but there was an unbelievable Venn diagram that came out about like who would hire Frank Lampard. A, a particular tweet that did make me laugh yesterday was a Leeds fan. Um, they don't, obviously don't like Frank Lampard very much, so take over a pinch of salt, but obviously they must be going through some issues of being in a similar place to us, but a Leeds fan, but if you think it's bad at Leeds at the moment, there's an Everton poll amongst Everton fans, and 85% of them want Frank Lampard. So I kind of found that quite funny, actually. But I probably shouldn't laugh at Leeds fans trolling our manager. But I did find it's it quite funny. Good. But yeah, like I said, I, I I think we'll. I don't think our league position will prove, improve too much. But I, I just think we might just have just about enough to stay up. And that's me looking at it through very pessimistically. Must I, must I say? Yeah, Owen. I mean, I, I mean, I have to agree with you. And I think, but I think also, like most fans, I think are on the same page. Like the, the goal is simply just to be safe, ideally as as comfortably as possible. Um, but you know, I had an interesting thought based on what you said. You know, you would have been maybe more optimistic if you came in the summer. And Definitely. you know, I'm thinking, I'm thinking, you know, if if our expectation is just with with Frank Lampard, you know, stay up uh, this season and then go into the summer. Ideally, you know, FFP won't be as constricting as, as last summer, then, you know, is it also fair to say that maybe the way he sets up the team with, you know, Ducor out another month, uh, we have only a couple days left in the January transfer window for him to request, let alone secure any other transfers. You know, maybe it's fair to say that what we see in the next, you know, four months may not be indicative of what we may see from Frank Lampard next season, assuming it doesn't go in a disastrous manner. Well, you'd think if he was smart enough, that would be the case, wouldn't you? Because there's no there's no beating around the bush that we're in a bit of a bit of a bit of danger here, and you would like to think that he'd be able to get exactly what he wants from the start of next season. Right now, I think he's really just got to make sure that Everton are in the Premier League next season, and not sort of go four four two like Benny says, or do just stick with the same thing, but. Maybe play four four three, but maybe play I don't know a bit more safer than he may want to. I don't know next season, for example. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I think he will have to take a bit of a different approach than he has in his previous two jobs. I think that's totally reasonable and necessary. Now, it remains to be seen. He's still, you know, what happens if we lose his first match against Brentford in the cup? You know, things. I don't think that matters too much, to be honest. I think it's more no. about staying up and cup, yeah. cup glory. Though I suppose people disagree with that because they constantly chase the end, the dream, don't they? And yeah. Every right to, right. but I, th- I think it's we can't go from we're getting relegated and we're not getting another point last week to we're going to finish tenth and win the cup <laughs> just because <laughs> Frank Lampard's coming. Right. I think we've got to take everything with a bit of a pinch of salt. Absolutely agree. I mean, I think I think being measured will set you up for uh, the least amount of disappointment, despite you know Everton being a constant stream of disappointment for the last few years. But um, we're going to 
keep going here. Halsey, um, do you have any thoughts? I know it's been a while since you spoke. Any thoughts on what's been said? I mean, I can't disagree with, 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 with most of what's been said. Um, I think if if he's if he's shrewd enough, uh, I think in cricketing terms they call it building innings. So he may we may have to see sort of a defensive side of Frank Lampard initially, and and I mean goes without saying our defense needs sorting out. Um, yeah, with the midfield echoing what what Ryan said, why not just just give Gabalman a chance? Um, I mean, he he had one half at at Wolves. He was sort of slated by I think most of the fan base, and I suppose Benitez had already made his mind up about him. So I think nobody else, or unless he's gonna maybe try a Ben Godfrey playing in front of the our uh, defense, but I mean that guy's been played all over the shore this this, this season, and I really feel for him. But uh, yeah, I think Frank's going to have to box a bit clever um, to get the most out of the squad for now, especially given that we don't have much time to bring in anyone over the next few days. Um, but I'd see, I think maybe look abroad, maybe try and get a central midfielder from the from Syria, possibly even the La Liga as well. So yeah. Ryan asked on your last podcast what was your favourite Rafa Benitez sort of mad tactic and I think playing Gabamon and Alan as two midfielders against Wolves away after Gabamon not playing in about three years or whatever I think that was quite possibly my favourite He played him in the wrong spot too like he, he, and he did this in Florida we saw it when they played three midfielders and they played Decore, Alan and Benin he played Alan as the deeper guy I'm like, what are you talking, what are you, I mean, do you not understand the player? He only played as an eight briefly with Mainz to make room for Kunde, who I thought was totally overrated anyway. Um, and turns out I, that was right. Um, it made no sense. Even worse, though, he finally changes to 4-1-4-1 in the 38th minute after we just got out-tacticed and embarrassed for 38 minutes. It was the worst display, the most dominant display. I think it was 8-1 to one in shots. And then we outshot him 12-3. to three. Why? Because he finally played a six. He brought in Delph at halftime. But even then, he still had a Wobi playing right wing. And Andrus Townsend, that I'm sorry, if you're a scout or any sort of talent evaluator and you look at that guy's game and you think inside player, you're wrong. You're just wrong, man. I mean, everything about him is an outside, cut inside, cross, or, you know, his right foot's not that bad in crossing, even if he seems allergic to it. What happened? Awobi sat there and pinged, you know, five or six crosses into the box and he scored. I mean, what, what, did, how do you not know? The thing is, if he never declared his player audit and whatnot, I actually told Guillaume Balaj this earlier this week when I was on his podcast, like, had he never said that, you know, and Rafa can't help himself. He, that arrogance comes out. Had he never said that, we might've written that up into, well, he's still learning a little bit about the team. Kind of like what I thought Carlo would have, but he didn't have Carlo's excuse of not having you know, enough time in between games to set us up. I, I mean, it was endless, Owen. Even from the first first game where he threw Gray in at the 10 and then switched back to Richarlison, like, none of those guys are 10s. Don't play your 4-2-3-1, man. What are you doing? So uh, it was, you know, it was endless. Uh, it was well, he, did, he apparently did a big squad evaluation before he came in, so yeah, BS. I, I don't quite know what he, he got out of that, but, you know, yeah, we obviously do because he's been sacked, so obviously it wasn't very good. 
I mean, I think honestly, and I don't know what you think, I think his tactics may honestly be past it in a way. And, and, and there's nothing wrong with sitting back and being tight and, and compact, both vertically and horizontally. Now, we were not that. He would still throw people wide in wide spaces and abandon the midfield. But I, I think the difference is that I mean, this isn't 2005 anymore. Teams are well scouted. There's video on virtually every team out there on the planet. And it was so odd. Mark Warburton actually was the one that probably did the best job of it, considering how undermanned he was with the QPR team. He just kept his, his wide guys on the backside wide. And it was hilarious to see our wide players trying to play super compact, knowing they were given 40 yards of space behind him. The pitches are better. The I just don't think you better. understood the players. Yeah, I've, I've, no, he didn't. No way. Because he did well-ish in the end when he when he was at Newcastle because he had time to, I don't know, get to know the players maybe, I think, buy some players. And, I mean, they were no great shakes, but they were competent. I, I just think we were horrendous under Rafa Benitez. And to be honest, I don't see any way, unless Frank Lampard's a actual PE teacher, they could do any worse than what Rafa Benitez did. So that I suppose that's a positive. Yeah, and that's what we've been you know, saying for a while, is like anyone has to do better than Rafa, assuming they are just able to play guys in their correct positions. Um, it, and it's true. You're right. <laughs> I love the PE teacher. If, if he's anything more than that, I think we'll be very much uh, safe, but it's, it's by no means a guarantee. And it's going to be a telling few weeks. Uh, if we can get the bounce, I think it, it bodes well for the rest of the season. We just stay up and we build. And, and Lampard's ability to, he will be able to, to pull some youth players. He has a good, obviously a great relationship with Chelsea. People talking about <laughs> getting Connor Gallagher and, and whoever else, Billy Gilmore, etc. Plenty of options. Um, and, and frankly, the young English players that we have. I don't, I don't think you can get Gilmore, actually. I thought that Norwich had gotten the point where he's not being recalled he's just back at chelsea to deal with injury he would be interesting though he's a little energizer bunny and could play as a six um but i, I think that's the that's why the algazi loan is such an embarrassment like do they not think and realize that yeah that's a sneaky little way to pay down the dean fee so it didn't look as bad but like really like you didn't realize that you have a limitation of premier league loans so that counts as one of the two I mean, would you be surprised if he didn't know that oh uh, yeah, yes, really yeah fair point Fair point, Owen. <laughs> I wouldn't trust him to tie that on shoelaces, man. I didn't understand the rules and regulations of the Premier League. But yeah, it was just, it all felt so incredibly short sighted and, and chaotic. And at least, you know, with, with Lampard coming in, you hope that there's some sort of structure. We talked about Tim Cahill briefly at the top. Him coming in would be, I think, a huge boost for the organization in whatever capacity, as long as it's not a director of football, but as like an independent outside Yeah, why do people think that's a good idea? What experience of a director of football does he have? I thought he was more sort of working in the business side of football rather than the actual day-to-day recruitment to players. I might be wrong, but... No, that's my impression, too. I know he's done a lot of work with Academy and the youth and stuff, at least. And, and, and look, he's on the board at UPIN, so... But yeah, I, I don't think he would have quite that level of experience and expertise to be a director of football. I mean, that requires a lot, I think. I mean, negotiation skills as well. Bill should never negotiate another deal for us. My God. Um, but yeah, yeah, I agree with you, Owen. But, but I do think he's seen enough evidence of how things should be run, uh, certainly from the youth standpoint as well, that I think as an independent director, that would be a decent choice. I mean, I would rather have maybe someone that's already been a successful DOF, you know, someone that's been more hands-on. 
But, you know, I, we should have at least two independent directors um, that at least have some football knowledge or maybe even financial knowledge too, commercial business. But no, I wouldn't pick him for, for DOF. I, I think that's a little much for him. This is what, what would slightly worry me about a long-term contract with Frank Lampard because I think you're narrowing the um, search for your director of football down. If you, you have a requirement that they have to want to work with Frank Lampard because you might get the perfect director of football who doesn't want Frank Lampard, but you, you've completely bought into the Frank Lampard project and you've but given them three years. But we have to do that. I mean, I, I, but that's why this was always a virtual, a quasi short term type thing. You know what I mean? Because you're right. You're exactly right. Like you can't hire someone and then say he's going to be a great long term appointee. Well, that's not this shouldn't be consideration ultimately, because um, the director of football is going to hopefully come in and, and they're the ones that have to take, you know, the vision, the identity from the board and turn it, make it come to life on the football side. So, yeah, if they don't like the manager and at least he does play in a slightly modern style. So hopefully we'll pick the right DFF that. They may give him a shot, but no, that's not fair. You can't impose a manager on a DFF. In the same way, it's like, it's like you can't impose an assistant coach on a manager, too. So that's no. why I think it would be very interesting to see what Duncan happens. But, but you know what, though, Owen? To your, here's the point, though. What other choice do you have at this point? You know what I mean? Like, you, you should have probably brought in a director of football a long time ago. Um, the yeah. second brand's yeah. left, but that was never going to happen under Rafa because we had basically given him the keys of the castle. So what are you going to do? You know, ultimately that, that, that's kind of the trick, you know, I, I think you just have to accept that and go forward, you know, but that's maybe why Frank was not the perfect hire, you know? Um, but I don't know if the other candidates were either. No, that, that that's true. Um, I, I just, I just hope that the situation gets resolved and we, we somehow fall on our feet in terms of that whole process, because if it, it, it in that Marcel brands, as much as, yeah, I feel like slightly two-faced for saying this because I did criticise him a lot, especially the um, 2019 window. I, I always felt he started off on the back foot of Evan because he came in and a manager was already appointed. Obviously, we know he didn't really get a say in the other two. I, I just thought, on reflection, he seemed to always be fighting against the tide of Evan, whereas he should have been able to come in and have a, a proper go at it. But, hey, that's that's done now. Yeah, very true. And, um, you know, so hopefully hopefully it works out with the director of football as well. And it'll be inter- interesting to see who else gets added to the board. Um, but Owen and Halsey really appreciate uh, you coming up and speaking and contributing. Hey, Dylan, are you there? Hey, can you guys hear me? Yeah, loud and clear. How you doing? Hey, what's going on, guys? Appreciate the uh, the space and, and the time. Love the podcast. And it's just great to see uh, Evertonians from uh, all over the U.S. I think I saw James was in Maine. Alex in maybe Seattle and Ryan in DC. Is that is that right? Uh, I'm in uh, I'm in Virginia. I think Ryan's technically also in Virginia. But uh, oh, I'm just gotcha. yeah, yeah. I've just got I've got pictures from the uh, Seattle Virginia. From the Seattle MLS Cup over there. So I had to. Oh, you know. nice, nice, nice. So well, it's just funny. One of the things that has frustrated me the last couple of weeks, but it's kind of been in the back of my mind because we've had so many you know fires to put out and things to deal with. I think Ryan might have mentioned El Ghazi. It just that, that, that just was so head-scratching at the time when we brought him in because, one, it was one of the positions we just didn't need to fill. And, two, it's been widely reported that Rafa just didn't want El Ghazi. And for whatever reason, Moshiri decides to bring him in anyway. And we still haven't seen him yet. But well, why do you think? It's, seriously, it's a, it's a fair question. I mean, there's definitely a reason. 
So, I mean, I don't know for sure either, but I got my suspicions. What are your thoughts? Well, what do you, well I was going to ask you, what do you what, why do you think they brought him in? I mean, well, he's Mendez client number one. Uh, right, sure, sure. So, my thought is it just pays down the purchase price for Dean. I don't think there's ever any intent. I mean, where would he play? I mean, yeah, no, exactly. It's just, yeah, so I, I think it, what I'm concerned about is no one's, no one's talking about a loan fee either. What happens if that's a significant loan fee in there embedded in the background? I'm, I'm not saying this is the case. I'm just saying it would be a clever PR move for it, in essence, to buy down the purchase price of the Dean. Because if, if everyone said, hey, by the way, Dean was actually sold for whatever we bought Michelinco for, you'd lose your minds, wouldn't you? Because that's sure. I, I, I hope that's not true, but I could see it being the case. Ryan's got no, his I, I, tinfoil hat on right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, yeah, I could see that, but I think I think that's probably like twelfth or thirteenth, you know, most important thing that we're that we've you know <laughs> yeah, got yeah. to talk about. You know, I mean, there's, there's no football so reason is my point. I, I can't think. Yeah, there's just so many things that we have to uh, address. But I, I will say, and I think I don't know who said this. Maybe it was James, but uh, about Lampard kind of you know not being our savior and you know not a hundred percent confident. I don't think us as a fan base, the majority are are. are you know, 100% confident in him, but I think he was the best option out of the three finalists. And we have to understand that there are just some managers, some, you know, very good managers that we normally may have had a chance at, at, at getting, but given our situation, didn't want to touch us with a 20-foot pole, you know? So I think what we, what the options that we had, the, the, the guys that we could get, I think, out of the three finalists, it was the best option. And I think we will uh, eventually, you know, stay up and, and, and be safe. The question now becomes, what can he, who can he bring in in the next couple of days to give me, and I'm sure many people listening, more confidence in midfield? Because we need at least one, and maybe even two. Can he bring in a, a Loftus-Cheek? Can he bring in a, a Donny Vanderbeek? Can, you know, who can he, this guy get in the next couple of days to ensure that our midfield improves? Because right now it is absolutely, uh, it's just hard to look at. It's just, it's just hard, to, hard to look at it on paper, on the pitch. And I think we have to. It has to be addressed in the next forty-eight hours, or you know, we'll be in we'll be in some trouble. You know, I I personally, you know, we we did kind of mention it previously. Like, I personally wouldn't be surprised if it was a name. You know, if if it was a name that maybe we haven't seen mentioned yet. Sure. Uh, you know, I mean, we only have a handful of days until the window is closed. Frank Lampard's coming in. I mean, he hasn't even been able to see the the players in in a training session or anything, which you know, tells me that that's also already like a, a struggle for him in terms of, you know, correctly identifying what he needs versus he, he doesn't need, um, you know, kind of to, to segue that topic just as an interesting point. Um, you know, there, there are rumors that Anthony Barry, which was uh, he's, I believe he's an assistant coach at, at Chelsea currently, but um, he was right. their set piece guy. And, you know, we've harped on it on the show a lot. Um, you know, this is more of a this is more of a defensive thing than it is, you know, you mentioned showing up the midfield. Um, but I think, you know, along the same lines, like if we were to uh, if we were to secure Anthony Barry, um, I think that would be the, that would be really important for us in, in showing up because I don't even know that we've scored a goal off a set piece this season well, off, well, off a corner specifically. Well, it's not in, and not even offensively, but defensively, we are right. notorious for, for for giving up goals on set pieces. So I think it's something that we would need to work on on both sides. But um, yeah, I mean, I mean, that, that's my thought. I think the the thing that, that bothers me the most is that this whole circus from this week. It just felt like this could have been done three or four days ago. The fans would be it would be in high spirited. I know we are today and yesterday, but I think this could have been three or four days ago. He would have been able to see these guys at some point. 
he'd be able to, uh, you know, get, get things together a little more quickly. And I know he's probably already talking to people and trying to get a player in or two, but I just think that, that he would, to have more time would have been essential and, and, and very helpful. And now we're kind of coming towards, you know, the end of this, this window. And I just wish he would have had a couple more days to, to spruce up the midfield and, you know, get, in, get into the Brentford game with uh, a couple extra guys. But we'll see what he can do. Yeah, I think that's yeah, really, I mean, really sorry, Alex. Really well said, Dylan. And I think you know the it's uh, like a damned if you do, damned if you don't type of situation, right? Where if the board rushes to make a decision, you get the criticism that they were too hasty. If they take too long, you say they should have been faster. But I agree with you that they probably could have acted. I mean, you look at a club like Watford, who, to be fair to them, are absolutely no strangers to sacking managers and finding replacements in recent times, but they're making the replacement announcement within 24 hours, 48 hours of the of sacking Ranieri. So you'd hope that there was a bit of a plan, but I know that in Everton's case, the sacking of Rafa Benitez went from Moshiri backing him publicly on Sky Sports to within two or three weeks having to give him the axe. So it clearly wasn't a right. well-orchestrated or thought-out plan. And as a result, the, the board then have to scramble, keeping in mind that we gutted our entire football infrastructure to appease this guy, and then you throw him out the door. And I just feel like it's been a gigantic scramble for the last week, and, and it's sure. good to see it kind of come to an end. But you're right. It would have been nice to give Lampard a little bit more time. It seemed like he was – well, it seemed like it was going to be Pereira, and then, of course, there was the weird – Moshiri calling every and, and Usman off. Right, the whole thing is disturbing. Right, the whole the whole thing was, was it was head scratching to me. I don't know how many interviews in the end these guys actually did because it, it felt like they it felt like Lampard had five interviews. He probably only had two or three, right? But it felt like this guy was always getting called in or getting interviewed again. Pereira, then Pereira going on Sky, his that the other interview. It just the whole thing was such a mess and it just feels like and, and and I'm you know I'm a reporter in America it just feels like Everton's uh communications and public relations department probably need a whole you know fresh start here because they just it just always seems anytime something comes up where they need a PR move or uh, to communicate with the fans or the press it, it it just never goes well it doesn't seem to go well I think there's some issues to that too I mean I, I think I think ideally a new director of football that would come in there's probably some cultural issues there too. I, I, that's why I'm slightly optimistic, maybe because I'm stupid, that someone like a Dan Ashworth could come in who's English or maybe can communicate a little better with Moshiri. But more importantly, if he can and has a little more control, I think they'd be more comfortable getting up in front and speaking about football decisions and other things going forward because brands would refuse to do that. Now, there are reasons for that. And I think he would have done more of it later, ultimately, though, when he wasn't making the decisions. Well, what the heck is he going to do? Go up there and say, yeah, someone else did that. So, but yeah, I, I think there's a major issue at the club in that regard. You can't call yourself a people's club without at least interfacing directly with the people on a more frequent and consistent basis. But think about that's pretty hard to do, though, if you don't kind of have a rallying cry of an identity or a vision. You know what I mean? If all your departments aren't kind of cranking towards the same, uh, same ultimate goal, just in different ways, you know, that's basic organizational behavior, you know, so... That probably makes it challenging. Um, but, yeah, we'll see how they address that. I mean, they've got a lot to address. I mean, the whole football oh. side needs to rebuild. Well, there's plenty plenty of fires that need to be put out. And instead of taking a giant bucket of water and trying to put them all out at once, you've just got to deal with one at a time. And hopefully, you know, after you know, a few few weeks, few months, you've looked and you've put out most, if not all, of the issues. And you say, okay, now, now we can move forward and we can, 
you know, make something happen. I do think even, you know, bringing a new manager is great. I think Lampard is, is, is the right man out of the three candidates. But I do think that the next three league games will decide how this season goes. Can a new manager come in that quickly with that short of time and, and make a big difference uh, in those three games against Newcastle, Leeds and Southampton? You know, I don't know the answer to that. But I think that uh, if we can get some points from those games, like, you know, seven out of nine or, you know, even five out of nine, I think, you know, we'll be looking at that and saying, OK, you know, we're we're in good shape. If we only end up with three or, you know, I, I don't want to say less than that, then I think we're in deep, deep trouble. The good thing is, and I've said this on other spaces, but I know we have some some new listeners, is that we do have plenty of opportunity. We could be we could only have 10 games left in the season. Luckily, we have a little more. So we have two games against Newcastle. We have a game against Watford. Burnley, Leeds, Southampton. So there's plenty of opportunity to, to get some extra points here. And I think people have been talking, we need about six wins. You know, I think there's plenty of chances for that. But if we end up in some trouble and it comes down to the last couple of games of the season, uh, I will not be very confident at all because, correct me if I'm wrong, I think the last game of the season is away to Arsenal. And it just feels like where Arsenal is right now that their final game of the season will maybe depend on if they qualify for Europe or not so the end of our season is brutal uh, right now right. we've got this stretch of six or seven games we need to pick up points sure, sure. exactly so I think if it, if it comes down to the last couple of games I, I, I will not be confident at all if we can get a couple of wins here on the bounce then I think we'll be safe and I think we'll be good to go but if we rely on our players to get it done um, you know in April May uh, I'm not going to be too too thrilled hey you know Dylan I wanted to you know to your point about the communication piece not I think a lot of people have been seeing, um, you know, that that complaint about the lack of communication from Everton on social media pretty consistently recently. I um, just wanted to plug a bit of information that I, I saw on Twitter recently, recently that David Prentice from the Liverpool Echo is now going to be involved officially um, with Everton Football Club in communications. Uh, just so that'll be an interesting change. He's been obviously, um, you know, involved in the Liverpool Echo covering Everton for a long, long time, to my understanding, a really nice guy. So hopefully that will address some sort of issues and shows kind of their intent, at least, or their acknowledgement that, you know, they could be doing things better as well. Sure, sure. Yeah, I mean, the, the, you know, we as a fan base are begging for as much communication as possible, as much transparency as possible. I think we obviously deserve that, and we just haven't gotten it. And I understand Moshiri is a, is a private person, but I think, you know, if you want to be the major shareholder of Everton Football Club, you have to be, you know, a little bit more public than you're being. And I think, you know, they have a responsibility to us or, you know, to, you know, especially the fans that are going to the games every week to, um, to be a little bit more public and to be a little bit more transparent. So, you know, they, they certainly have to do that. And that's definitely part of the um, 27 years campaign, you know, I guess ideology, you could say. Yeah, that, I mean, that's got to be where it starts. I mean, having fan representation on the board is, is going to help with transparency a bit. I mean, that, that's a no-brainer. I mean, you got to do that. I mean, come on. But, yeah, I mean, the bottom line is I don't care if that he's a private person. Fine. I don't care if I never hear from him. As long as I hear from the CEO or his proxy there that we have a clear strategic direction and we're moving forward towards that. And I hear that every now and then. That's the thing. We, we Sure, we have a project. That's fine. I think everyone feels a lot better about a project if you feel like it's moving towards something, even if you're not winning every game in, in the short term. You know what I mean? Everyone would feel that way. And that, that's what's really lost here. And that's why even look at this decision. You're like, who the heck's making it? We have no idea how that process is being right. Right. doing it. So at least if we knew a little more about the process itself and who was making the decisions, yeah, maybe we'd all feel a little bit better about it. But I mean, that's 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 got to happen. He's clearly sure. that ignorant. Um, it, it'll, think. 
it also appears that you know with Moshiri that some of the decision making is 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 changed at the eleventh hour. You know, he's thinking one thing and then all of a sudden, you know, he'll sleep on it the next day. No, 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 I want to do this. You know, it, it, it seemed like it was set to be Pereira. Then people were in his ear and it seemed convinced to, you know, look at some other guys. And, and then Lampard comes into the picture a little bit more. But th th then it, it was going to be Lampard. Then it was like, no, no, we got to interview Pereira again. So it seems like the decision making, he, he, he doesn't maybe trust himself as much as maybe he could or he, he, he trusts other people too much. I don't know. It seems like he kind of goes in different directions. And we never know what's going to happen because maybe even he doesn't know how he'll feel the next day or the next hour. And that's what we've been saying on, on the show for a while is like he shouldn't be the guy. It shouldn't be left to his whims. Like which, which way is the wind blowing today? Oh, well, today I want sure. Tomorrow I want Frank Lampard. It should right. be that he picks the right guy to make those decisions. And, and, afford and any business owner, any anyone that owns a company or owns a business, they hire people to help make decisions and you have to entrust them. That's one of the reasons that you've hired them. So, you know, an, an owner of a company doesn't make every single decision you know the, you know they, they obviously are part of conversations and they get the final say but the, you have people in your corner and you know in your circle to help make those decisions and sometimes he doesn't maybe trust them as much as he he should and he just kind of maybe goes with with gut or heart you know or you know instead of mind and and listening to other people yeah i, th I think that's really what it comes down to you go back to look i mean he, tr he, he did try to implement the director of football model with steve walsh it failed you know, catastrophically. And then you thought that, you know, he maybe learned his lesson and that he would try it again and do it the right way with a guy like Marcel Brands, who has by all accounts, a sparkling CV. And yet we still ran into different problems. Um, but maybe some of the same things where he really has a trouble distancing him, distancing himself from the decisions that need to be made. And in my opinion, it's all been at the, you know, for the worse, of Everton football club. And so I think that's where like the, the 27 years campaign is going to be so critical going forward. I know there's been, you know, this level of elation amongst the fan base. Well, we got Rafa out, blah, blah, blah. You know, we maybe don't need to keep the pressure on, but I think it's even more important now in this period that obviously the fans of the stadium get behind the team. You can make the atmosphere is, is crucial in these upcoming games. But outside of that, the protests I think still should continue until the moves are made that we all want to see in terms of the communication sure. that you mentioned, Dylan. So, well, um, go ahead. If, if you don't mind, I'll make one more point because I know I'm eating up a lot of airtime and I want to let other people get on. But I, I do want to say that the power of the of the fans over there really showed this week because it really did seem like, and I'm blanking on the days, but maybe Monday, Tuesday, it really seemed that it was going to be Pereira. And then there was a protest at, uh, at Goodison. There was a walk around, a lot of signs. And, 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 it, Every single day, the support for Lampard seemed to increase. And what do you know? Lampard now, it, it, it's you know 99.9% .9 sure that it's him. And it, it just showed that the fans do make a difference, that they do have a say, and, and that it needs to continue because the fans, I guess you could say the vast majority of them, seem to have gotten what they wanted. And so might, I think it's it might great. might not be the best thing, though. Say that again? That might not necessarily be the best thing. I mean, obviously, you want to have the fan base energized behind a candidate, but I think the proportion of legitimate outrage towards the candidate himself, Victor Perea, uh, I, I thought was kind of ridiculous. I mean, it, again, if it was because, hey, you're listening to Kia, get him out of our club, okay, that's fine. But I think sure. that what I never understood is we don't want this guy, but we really want Frank Lampard. That that was a very strange turn. Well, well I think that I, I think the, 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 the main, you know, I guess pro about Pereira was that 
people were saying, well, he, you know, he won, a, he won a couple Portuguese titles. You know, I know it was about a decade ago. He won a couple Portuguese titles. You know, that's great. But if you look at our history, how many managers are we going to bring in that won, uh, you know, won something important a decade ago? Yeah, or, but I, or I even more. I don't think that's fair. I mean, I think to look at his CV, I mean, he really rarely did a bad job. I mean, people brought up the same. It's very funny when people want to give you an impression on someone when they've already made up their mind, they're going to hang their head on a couple small things. But what does it show um, you when you've been at five or six clubs in the last six years? But Frank's been at two and three. Or sure, in, in two and sure, I, mean, I, sure. I, I don't think that's that rare, though. I'm just saying I, I just think it's fair to look at his CV objectively. Look, he's in China. He won two titles for that team in China. They've never won anything. I mean, it's not a small team or anything. Then they haven't won since and didn't won before. He did a very good job there. Fenerbahce, his first year, he did very well as well. The fans loved him. The last year, I mean, that place is a disaster. And the 1860 Munich thing is kind of a joke. I mean, he took over a team that almost got relegated the year before. They were already in a terrible shape. They were flushing money out of it. The owner was a lunatic, and he took over in January. So well, would, he have, would, would he have been your pick out of the out of the three finalists? Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I think so. Interesting. Uh, if the people weren't going to go crazy. I mean, not by a mile or anything, but I think he had a better CV than Frank. I mean, to Owen's point is, I, I think what we need right now is a short-term guy because we don't have any long-term vision to pair that individual with anyway. And, and honestly, I think the way he plays and his organized defense he would have, I think he's a slight better pick than Frank. But I wouldn't interview either of them. That's the crazy part. You know what I mean? Sure. I wouldn't interview sure. either but the, but, the, but the problem is, is that we, and I said this at the beginning, is that some of the guys that we met, might normally have, have brought in, and maybe they weren't interested in us. Maybe they didn't want to, maybe. you know what I mean? We, we, I mean, I wanted Potter last year. And I think at the beginning, well, after we sacked Rafa, it was like, okay, let's try to bring no. to come. No, not without that infrastructure. And Brands wanted Potter in the summer, by all accounts. Yeah, right. I, I think you make a good point, though. I'm curious. I, I would like to hear more from people. I, I put that out on Twitter to kind of say, well, is the outrage over the top why? And, and is it just love for Frank? Is it a Kia connection? So I'd love to hear from feedback from some other people, too, about how they felt about it, especially the folks overseas. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I've been in spaces. I, real, sorry. I, I've no, been in spaces. I've been in spaces with them since about Friday just because I wanted to be involved more. And, and, and you, know, I, you know, being in America, there's, you know, where I am in Pennsylvania, there's not too many people I can talk to about it in person besides like my family. My dad grew up in Liverpool. But so I joined these spaces and it, it just seems the consensus among the majority of fans over there is that they wanted Lampard and, and um, they, they absolutely did not want Pereira. And that seemed to be what the vast majority of fans were, were thinking over the last few days. Yeah, I, I, I definitely think that was the sentiment, Dylan. I think you had you know the finger on the pulse there. Um, in some ways, I think that was maybe a little bit of you know mob mentality. People really, you know, at this point, wanted something in some ways to be angry about, and it seemed like I mean, Alex said it earlier, but the Sky Sports interview seemed to be like the, the nail in the coffin. But Dylan, um, really appreciate you coming on. I think you spoke really. Thank well. you guys. It's been a pleasure. Love to get you back on uh, sometime in the future, but we're going to keep it moving here because we've got a couple people waiting. But yeah, hope you enjoy Thanks, the guys. rest of your day. Cheers. You too. Thanks. All right, everyone. That's going to do it for part one of this two-part Twitter space conversation on the Frank Lampard appointment in the state of Everton. If you enjoyed the show, please definitely let us know. And don't forget to subscribe and leave us a rating or review on your podcast platform of choice. If you want to follow us on social media, you can find all of those links at linktr.ee slash usatoffeepod. And of course, you should absolutely join our Discord server, which you can find at invite.gg slash ATP. Thanks again for listening. Stay tuned for part two and up the toffees.